Gossip at the Corpse Cart contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Gossip at the Corpse Cart. Back to Gak. (laughs) Back to Gak. So we are the Wine and Crime Gals. Indeed. The Gossip at the Corpse Cart is our little spinoff where we tackle some more recent headlines and also some other weird shit that we wouldn't normally talk about in Mm -hmm. an episode of Wine and Crime. God Mm -hmm. bless it. So I'm Lucy. I'm Kenyon. And I'm Amanda. Well, let's uh, dive into Amanda's crazy recent headlines, shall we? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. This is what I look forward to all month. <laughs> this is now what has completely taken over our email inbox. Yep, <laughs> I'm obsessed. It's my fucking favorite. So before I lot. launch in, I want to say thank you, first of all, to everybody who's been participating, sending me amazing amazing headlines. Mm -hmm. It's been glorious. (laughs) And if you're interested in sending me a recent headline, especially if it's some like, I love police blotter shit from your Mm -hmm. hometown. Oh, it's my favorite. This is like the stuff that Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily going to see all over my Twitter feed, but also some of that stuff too. Just write an email to wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com with the inbox title Amanda Gack. And I will review it and potentially feature it on the show. Like the following headlines. (laughs) This first one was submitted by Sarah Gray and it's amazing. (laughs) Florida man arrested for having an I eat ass sticker on his truck says his (laughs) rights were violated. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can eat ass. How can you be arrested? I don't know. We're going to find out. And you know what? You can eat ass. Mm-hmm. I encourage it. Yeah. A Florida man is claiming his First Amendment, r- Amendment rights were violated after he was arrested for support for sporting an I eat ass sticker <laughs> on his truck, <laughs> which is apparently a violation of the state's obscenity law. Fuck that shit. Yep, I know. <laughs> According to the Lake City Reporter, 23-year-old Dylan Shane Webb. What? Webb. Was, uh, he's going to be a serial killer. Dylan Shane Webb <laughs> was pulled over on Highway 90 after an officer with the Columbia County Sheriff's Office spotted his I eat ass sticker on the back <laughs> of his Chevrolet truck. <laughs> the deputy claimed the sticker violates Florida Statute 847. Point zero one one. I never know how to read those statute numbers. So that's yeah. what I did. Which Ooh. deals with possession and distribution of obscene material. What? When the deputy <laughs> confronted Webb and a passenger about the sticker, Webb said they were, quote, just words. Which, duh. Yeah, free, they are. free fucking speech. The deputy, who clearly had an I want to speak to a manager haircut, asked <laughs> Webb how, quote, a parent of a small child would explain the meaning of the words. A small child oh would God. be able to read the words, you dumbass. Correct. But That's Webb like responded. The, the people who are anti drag gay marriage and time. shit. Yeah. The children. What about the children? Webb appropriately responded that it would be up to the parents how they responded. Yeah. Dirt. Mm-hmm. My the fucking deputy, vehicle. I know. 
The deputy issued him a notice to appear at the Columbia County Courthouse on May 23rd and took a photograph of the sticker to place as evidence. <laughs> what will the children <laughs> in the courtroom think? Exactly. Deputy? How dare you? In an effort to make the sticker slightly <laughs> less offensive, the officer then instructed Webb to remove one of the letters... Webb refused and cited his First Amendment right to announce to the world his love of eating ass. What if the letter he removed was the letter I? So it just just says eat ass. ass. I'll take one of the letters off. Would you like to buy a vowel? I fucking love it. <laughs> Webb was then booked at the Columbia County Detention Facility. It's safe to say this case is about to get tossed. <laughs> like a salad. Get it? <laughs> it doesn't say that in the article. It literally does. <laughs> it's so tongue in cheek. In butt cheek. Oh, he could just tongue make in the, butt he, cheek. He could, he could just make the ass make make the s's dollar signs. Yes. Stussy yeah. s's. <laughs> All right. Our next headline. Many many people flooded my inbox with this headline. So I can't name everyone who sent it, but you know who you are, and thank you. <clears throat> Florida woman pulls alligator out of pants during traffic stop. <laughs> what? <laughs> a Florida woman pulled a small alligator out of her pants during a traffic stop, authorities said. The Did unidentified she know it was woman. There? Huh? Did she put it there? I mean, I assume it had been placed there. She's not unidentified. It was Amanda on it our wasn't road trip. Me. It's just me <laughs> flashing my leg tattoo. Gators are pants. It's so realistic that people thought it was real. <laughs> um, the woman showed an officer the reptile one asked, Do you have anything else? <laughs> <laughs> there were also anything gonna poke me in there? <laughs> well, funny you ask, because there were also forty-two striped mud turtles and one softshell turtle in the woman's vehicle when she what was pulled over on a highway in Punta Gorda, some hundred miles south of Tampa, according to the Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. She's <laughs> smuggling reptiles what is her i'm deal? not sure what she's doing but she was cited for possession of a of for possession and bag limit violations for all three species which are <laughs> native to florida but are regulated the reptiles were then seized and released according to a spokesperson for the florida fish and wildlife conservation commission have you seen wow. that clip of that couple who are like, we decided to set our pet turtle free, which like you should not do because you could like seriously mm. fuck up an ecosystem. And also like mm -hmm. if it's a pet, it's a pet. But anyway, they are like, it's like a five second clip of this guy like releasing this like tiny turtle oh into God, this pond. This like oh murky no. water. And then out oh of no. nowhere, like fucking jaws, this catfish <gasps> just immediately comes up. And like the second the turtle hits the water, the catfish gobbles it up and swims away. Oh, 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 oh no. <laughs> there are like children present. <laughs> Bye, turtle. Oh, Bye, Tony. my God. <laughs> Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Just immediately eaten. <laughs> Michelangelo, no! <laughs> Michelangelo. <laughs> oh, that is Cake dark. Cake splinter. I love it. I love it. 
so that's that one. All right, my next one is one that Kenyon actually also sent me, but then like 50 other people <laughs> sent it. I was first. <laughs> Kenyon's a super fan. She is a super fan. (laughs) Parrot clams up after it was detained for warning odors of owners of law enforcement presence in drug raid. Yes, I saw this one. Parrot's no snitch. So good. It's not a narc. An unnamed parrot was taken into custody (laughs) in northern Brazil following a police raid targeting crack dealers. Police seized the bird in hopes of getting more information out of the loyal lookout, but according to Brazilian journalists, the faithful fowl kept its beak shut. (laughs) The faithful fowl. (laughs) Did not sing like a canary. Did not. (laughs) (laughs) The bird reportedly was taught to alert the criminals of nearby police and apparently was found cawing, Mom, the police, in Portuguese, (laughs) right around the time that cops were preparing to raid the home of two suspected crack dealers in Villa Irma Dulce, a neighborhood in Northeast Brazil. I I couldn't love this anymore. Quote, he must have been trained for this, local police told Brazilian media after the raid. Hell yeah. (laughs) As soon as the police got close, he started shouting. Shouting. Unfortunately for the criminals, the feathered lookout was unable to warn its owners in time for the raid. Police were able to capture the alleged drug dealers even while the parrot squawked a warning of their arrival. Oh, no. The parrot was seized and brought back to the station for questioning. (laughs) (laughs) But the bird has chosen to plead the fifth and police have been unable to retrieve any further information. What fucking information are you gonna get out of it? I'm fucking crying. I'm fucking crying. He pled the fifth. According to the report, local vet Alexandra Clark told a Brazilian journalist that the loyal parrot was not cooperating with the police. Lots of, quote, lots of police officers have come by and he said nothing, said Clark. Maybe give him a grape. I don't know. Give him a cracker. The bird allegedly got off easy. The quote, Papa, okay, I cannot speak Portuguese, so this is going to be bad. Papagaio do Trafico, which is uh, Portuguese for drug trafficking parrot, was eventually (laughs) sent to a local zoo to be trained to fly and eventually released. And then a red, like, cops are, like, patrolling the zoo and he's just, like, arrested again. (laughs) This is profiling. Yeah. How do you know? Not all parrots are related, okay? It has a little ankle bracelet. Oh, my God. Don't leave the state. Oh my I need God. to train Josie. Have, like, a different you bark do. around certain people. Uh, all right, I have two more. Next up comes from lots of people once again. Um, I love this. This is a woman after my own heart. Pet-loving prowler sneaks into home, pets dog, washes dishes, and takes nothing. <laughs> That's me. Except for yeah. the cat. 
That's I can't watch the dishes. It's kind of me when I stay at Amanda's house. It truly, this <laughs> is Kenyon. And you don't take nothing. Yeah. That's true. Well, no, she, she usually leaves things. She usually gives me stuff. Yeah. It's like reverse. <laughs> a caring crook snuck into a home, pet the dog, and washed the dishes. Then she left. <laughs> The complete stranger sauntered through the back door of the home uninvited, plopped down on the couch and started stroking the canine, uh, said the resident of Hamden, Ohio, to the police. Quote, on May 6, 2019, around 9 a.m., the Vinton County County Sheriff's Office received a call about a burglary in Hamden. Uh, Deputies arrived and spoke with an individual who stated a female came into the residence through the back door, sat down on the couch, and began to pet the family dog, (laughs) washed the dishes, and then left the residence. Washed the dishes. That's where I really lose it. They need to be done. You can't even get me to wash my own dishes. I know. I know. Oh, you couldn't stop me from washing dishes. Yeah, you love it. You're one of those weirdos. The resident told police, "quote They did not know the female, and the female was not invited into the residence." And that were they home? Yeah. Oh. And that the woman was, quote, acting very strange. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Mm. As the victim spoke to the police, another call came in saying a woman matching the benevolent burglar's uh, description <laughs> was knocking on doors around the neighborhood. The woman's name was Cheyenne Ewing, and she, quote, appeared to be under the influence of narcotics. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And if you look at her mugshot, which mm-hmm. I will go ahead and put on the drive for you. Yes. That is evident. Oh, oh, honey. Yeah. She's seen better days. Yeah. Well, here's hoping she gets the help she needs. Yeah, let's hope after her her arrest during her sentencing, maybe this can be more of a drug court situation where they get her into a rehabilitation program and help her get her little, her sweet life back together because clearly she's kind-hearted. She's not trying to, like, hurt anybody. She likes dogs. Just wants to pet a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, she was chores. charged with burglary because breaking into somebody's home is illegal. Um, she was scheduled for a bond hearing, um, and a relative said that they hoped Ewing would seek out much-needed help. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, wishing her all the best. Yeah. And you finally, can come do my dishes any day. I don't I have know, a dog, right, though. honey? I know it's May, but we didn't have a gack out in time for the Easter holiday, so I wanted to just. Include this from Michael K, who emailed it in. This is a great, great headline. Here we go. The Easter Bunny literally beat someone up in downtown Orlando last night. (laughs) Thank God. April 22nd. (laughs) In what is probably downtown Orlando's weirdest fight yet, someone dressed as the Easter Bunny ran into an ongoing brawl and beat up a man on Orange Avenue on Sunday. (laughs) We've been on Orange Avenue. We have. We've been in a brawl on Orange Mm -hmm. Avenue. I'm kidding. (laughs) I did dress up as an Easter Bunny on Orange Avenue. I wish. It was me. An Orlando <laughs> promoter who goes by work caught the oh. whole thing on video and told Orlando Weekly that the fight started with a man bump when a man bumped into a woman with uh, a man bumped into a woman and that just like started a whole thing. It's drunk people on Orange Avenue. What are you going to do? Yep. Yeah. The two were already punching each other when the fluffy vigilante suddenly jumped <laughs> in and started swinging. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, onlookers yelled, beat his ass, beat his ass. <laughs> and then a cop stepped in and said, consider your language. Pretty much. And, and then a parrot children. got involved. 
Work oh the promoter God. said, as you can see, the Easter rabbit has been taking boxing classes. Shit <laughs> was hilarious. <laughs> Uh, oh the, the fight was quickly broken up by a bystander and a bicycle cop from Orlando police. Um, Orlando weekly reached out to OPD for more information, but did not receive an immediate statement. So I don't really know what befell this Easter bunny. Oh, well, but he's like a he good Samaritan. A yeah, I agree. Well, given Florida's privacy laws, we should have all the information yeah, at this point. Stay <laughs> tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. And those are my headlines. Nice work. God bless. Oh yeah. my God. Great. Uh, reading these articles gives me life. <laughs> I love so it good. so much. My mom's favorite part of the newspaper is the Carver County Sheriff's blotter, so I'll <laughs> make sure she keeps an eye out. Seriously. They're so short because they're printed in the paper yeah. that like their brevity just makes them so much more hysterical. It's true. I agree. They're mm-hmm. so funny. <laughs> I love the police blotter. I love oh, yeah. a small town police blotter. Mm-hmm. God, yes. Gives me life. All right, should we hear a quick word from our sponsors? Let's do it. Yep. Getting fit and staying healthy always sounds easier said than done, right? Uh, hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But OpenFit is bringing you something new that makes it even easier to never miss a sweat session. So, OpenFit takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. It is a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. I I mean, mean, for real, it's the best. Never leaving my house and only working out for 10 minutes a day, sold. Yeah. I'm also sold. Uh, they have an amazing trainers and classes. Open Fit classes are led by some of the most effective and engaging trainers in the world. You can sculpt your body with Andrea Rogers, the founder of the worldwide sensation Extend Bar, Ooh, which I have tried. Fancy. I am terrible at it. <laughs> I need to watch a lot more Andrea Rogers Extend Bar videos <laughs> because I am not You're a coordinated a or balanced beginner. person. You're a beginner. I am a beginner. But that's one of the great things about this service is that, like, I'm trying it in my house. I'm not embarrassed mm-hmm. by being in front of other people. And they also have classes at every different skill level. I love their yoga classes that they have. It's super, super fun. Or you can get in crazy good shape with Hunter McIntyre, who was named by Sports Illustrated as one of the top 50 fittest athletes. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that, but it's there when I'm ready for it. These trainers know how to get you results quick. It's super simple. You can forget all the complexity and the stress surrounding getting fit and just press play and work out on your schedule. Mm-hmm. 600 seconds with celebrity trainer Devin Wiggins. Hello. Wiggle with Wiggins. Burning. Oh my God, here for it. <laughs> Muscle building and body sculpting benefits of much longer sessions into a fraction of the time. You get the results in a fraction of the time and it's amazing. You have access anywhere and anytime. You can view it on your computer. You could do it on a web-enabled TV. I have a smart TV so I could do it in my family room while my rabbit and my dog or staring at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> you could do it on a tablet. You could do it on a smartphone, a Roku. It's awesome. And you get results that you can see. You can lose up to 15 pounds in just the first 30 days. Flatten 
flatten your abs, shape your body, and look and feel great. I do not do not own a scale, but I've definitely been noticing that I'm just like getting a little more toned up and getting into a routine, and I love it. Oh yeah, Mamba. So Open mm-hmm. Fit has changed the way that we work out, and with our code GALS, G-A-L-S, you can join us on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Again, use our code GALS and start using Open Fit for your journey to a healthier life. Right now, during the Open Fit 30-day challenge, our listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit, where you can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days when you text GALS, G-A-L-S, to 303030. That's 303030. You will get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts and nutrition information totally free. Again, just text GALS to 303030. Standard message and data rates may apply. Treat yo bod. Okay. I am excited <laughs> for what you have in store for us. Are you ready for a good old homegrown rant? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Kenyan ranting? What? Who? I don't know. Okay. Something's off. <laughs> we got a lot of requests to talk about uh, our impressions of the new Ted Bundy, Zac Efron movie. Extremely mm-hmm. wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Um, and y'all, I've got feelings on this subject. <laughs> so we're going to get into it. And Walk a lot, people. You both have seen it, right? Yes. I have not. Oh. What the fuck have you been doing? It's been out for like six days. You said you were going to watch it. I'm in the midst of finals, y'all. Like, when do I have time to watch a movie? Unforgivable. Well, I'm going to spoil the whole thing for you. Please do. It's not like I've never (laughs) heard the story of Ted Bundy before. (laughs) I think I'm good. Just for everyone who hasn't seen the movie... A million spoilers about the, like, specific to the movie. So just be forewarned. And if you don't want to hear them, fast forward to Lucy's Coroner Corner. Yeah. In this episode. Or, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you've been warned. So I would like to start with the women surrounding Ted Bundy because it's ostensibly about Ted Bundy, but it actually is about all the women around him in his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the movie covers or fails to cover. And so it has like a really strong focus on his longtime girlfriend, Liz Kendall. Mm-hmm. They, they call her Liz Kendall in the movie. Her real name is Elizabeth Klepfer. I think I'm saying that right. But mm-hmm. in 1981, she wrote a memoir entitled The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy. And she wrote that book under the pseudonym Liz Kendall. So then that's what the movie uses. Um, that was respectful. I, w- I was like, if it's a totally nonfiction movie, why the fuck would they change the main character's name? But that makes sense. Yeah. So she she used that pseudonym herself. Anne Rule used like a different, I think, pseudonym for her in her book, like... So whatever. They're just trying to respect her. And then today she goes by her married name, which is not public because she's trying to protect her privacy. So Liz, basically. Okay. Liz. Liz. 
So Liz and Ted started dating in 1969 before he began killing co-eds. Although some people believe that he might have killed a neighbor girl when he was still a teenager, but they don't. That not that's not confirmed. It's just suspected, and it's not in the movie at all. Which like could have been an interesting tidbit, but I understand yeah. if they didn't have time to get into it. They also probably don't want <clears throat> to. He's dead, obviously, but probably don't want to put out allegations about something that hasn't actually been proven. Yeah, but yeah. they make up some I know, other Kenny shit. And I are both like, but you sh- you could you could hint okay. at it. You know, you could have a conversation <clears throat> where they're talking about like the neighbor girl that turned up dead that he was friends mm-hmm. with. Yeah. You know, some kind of hinting I mean, at it. Okay. Speculate that's the first wildly. of a long list of things that this movie fucked up. I'm sure right. we'll hear about the rest. That's minor. I've got more. So <laughs> I'm just going to hang out over here pulling alligators out of my pants while you do this. <laughs> I'm coloring. <laughs> I just want to bring up the fact that this was requested. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ted was like a father figure to Liz's young daughter, Molly. That's true. And they, they, They portray that well in the movie. Liz wrote in her book, quote, I handed Ted my life and said, here, take care of me. He did in a lot of ways, and I became more and more dependent upon him. When I felt his love, I was on top of the world. When I felt nothing from Ted, I felt that I was nothing. Oof. So that kind of... Dangerous territory. Classic abuse, though. But he didn't seem to really be abusive towards Liz per se. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I feel like there's definitely an element of emotional abuse if he's hiding if she things feels and this lying. way a and also if he's leaving to go fucking murder coeds like For sure, yeah. She could sense that like he would have periods where he was like very engaged and then other periods right. where he was very withdrawn and they don't I'm ha- going to assume that any guy who does not text me and enters one of those periods of being very withdrawn is off murdering people and yeah. I'm better off just not engaging anymore. I think it's a <laughs> fair assumption. I think so too. Yeah. So I don't think I mean we should just assume really. Like the movie soon just, as you see the text, reply me. <laughs> they didn't do a good job of showing that like up and down quality of his personality. The movie just makes it okay. seem like he was like fanta- like a fantastically perfect boyfriend and like pseudo right. stepdad. But obviously balancing murdering people and having a relationship is hard and some people really can't have it all and so he'd be really distant <laughs> in those times. Yeah, he would like And they didn't show that. Semi ghost her for like a couple days and like they just didn't like cover that at all. Lame. Okay, and so while we're still talking about Liz, in the movie, she ends up with a, her co-worker, who is played mm-hmm. by Haley Joel Osment. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm watching this tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Get your shit together, woman. Calm Come on. down. Um, <laughs> but in reality, Liz fell in love with a man that she met in Alcoholics Anonymous when she was, like, going through this, like, trauma of Ted being on trial. Oh, which wow. which is like way more compelling and interesting yeah. than yeah. meeting like a f- fleshy coworker. A fleshy coworker. <laughs> hey now, <laughs> Haley supported Joel. her. Yeah, 
I just think an Alcoholics Anonymous scene could have been very powerful to like well, get especially because they did hint, they did hint at her excessive drinking at the time in the movie anyway. So like, yeah, and she why got, not take it one more step? Yeah, and she got sober. So like, it really didn't have to be some guy at work. I just it just kind of felt lazy, boring. Yeah. Um, in Anne Rule's book about Ted Bundy, The Stranger Beside Me, which is an absolute masterpiece. Um, <laughs> Kenyon read it in, like, fourth grade. <laughs> okay. She did. <laughs> you were, like, re- you yeah. have been talking about that book since I've known you. Yep. I reread <laughs> it right before we started this podcast, I think. It's been, it's been influential in my life. But anyway. Um, it's a seminal volume. Yeah. So it's like the hot zone for you. God, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I that book. I gotta reread that. Yep. So, okay, in Anne Rule's book, uh, she doesn't focus that much on Liz. And then this movie focuses a lot on Liz. Um, and Anne Rule kind of paints her as like a mousy single mom, like a little bit passive, like happy to get any attention from a man, which is like problematic. But anyway... The Stranger Beside Me spends a lot more time discussing Ted Bundy's first serious girlfriend, which the movie completely leaves out. Uh, Mm -hmm. This woman named Diane Edwards, whom he met at the University of Washington. So go to the drive and look at the photo labeled Diane Edwards. Okay. The drive photos will be on the blog. They will be on the blog. Ooh. There are two. There's... Diane oh, yeah, I Edwards see him, I see him. one and Diane Edwards two. She is stunning. She is yeah. stunning. Her hair is absolute goals. <laughs> her it's ha- so voluminous. It, it takes up most of this photo. Her I hair love is it. basically your mom's hair from that age. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda. And it really is. It really yeah. is. Oh, I yeah. love it. My mom I like had that she like got- the thick curly flip down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that she got posture honors according mm. to her yearbook photo. And yet she's slouching in her photo. Mm. She's twisted. Yeah. I'm just kidding. But anyway, she's stunning, right? So this is his mm-hmm. first girlfriend. Also, doesn't it say beauty and grace command the world? She's beauty and she's grace. She's grace. Oh, she's Miss Diane there she Edwards. Is. Our Mount Rose American teen princess. <laughs> look at her. Doesn't, Doesn't she, she look, look fine? fine? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. she, Diane was like the epitome of everything Ted Buddy wanted. She was from a well-off family. She was a very pretty brunette, which he like super fetishized. She was this like classic, accomplished college co-ed. So she like was the archetype of his later victims. Totally. Mm. That's so creepy. And they, stuck. she basically like left him and then got married a year later to someone else. And I, and like in The Stranger Beside Me, this is brought up a lot as like part of his pathology and his like story. Mm. Um, and I think in casting Lily Collins, they were trying to like morph these two women into one because Lily Collins is obviously stunning. But mm-hmm. I just feel like they missed like that crucial piece. 
and not yeah. even mentioning Diane. You know? I feel mm-hmm. like this movie got so much hype that it was Zac Efron and he was so hot and he was playing a serial killer that, like, that was the main focus. Like, that's what the, um, um, like, the production company wanted more of rather than, like, substance necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rather than, like, the actual story. But the actual story is so fascinating. They didn't have to, like, jazz it up at all. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so the actual movie- They just wanted that scene of Zac Efron fucking that girl against the Coke machine in the prison, which really would Spoiler alert. Yeah. It's the best scene of the movie because you can see his bare butt banging. Wait, Love I'm it. sorry. Good. What? There are actually a couple sex scenes. I'm not going to talk. I don't I don't find Ted Bundy attractive. I can, can like- I don't find up? Ted Bundy attractive. I find Zac Efron attractive. I also don't find Ted Bundy attractive, but I do find Zac Efron attractive. Yeah. I guess. I'm not, like, that into him. Well, if I well, were he's just, not like, that into you either. You Moving don't on. know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, Prove it. the movie doesn't mention Anne Rule at all, even though that they were friends. Um, oh. Like, at first, kind of peripherally, like, they were coworkers, then I don't think they had that much contact, and then, like, he was under suspicion, and then they started, like, writing letters to each other, and then later, Anne Rule wrote this book about him mm-hmm. um, that launched her career. So, she's an important figure in all this, and he, like, revealed a lot of shit to her, and they don't even mention her in the movie. Weird. Was her book published before he was executed? That is a good question. I don't, th- I don't know the answer. Because I, if I were her and he had opened up to me and I had like letters from him and then I wrote this whole expose, uh, I would kind of be creeped out if he wasn't already dead. Yeah, worried for my life. Well, he was on. Yeah, or just like, mm, just feel weird about it. Uh, I don't know the answer. That's easily Googleable, but I'm not sure. Doing it right now. Um. But one of the most fascinating things is that Ann Rule and Ted Bundy used to work together at a suicide hotline in Seattle. Stop. Yeah. Ted Bundy was wow. the guy talking people off the ledge who were contemplating suicide. Off the ledge and into his web. I mean, that's a crazy factoid that... He- yeah. I mean... That's pretty bonkers. That, what in a, that could have been an amazing scene. You know, mm-hmm. not even that book mentioned. was published nine years before he died. Wow. Yeah. Dang. And it was actually there were two revisions of the book that were also published before he died. So it was essentially printed three different times. Mm-hmm. It's been printed a bunch of alive. times. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. while he was alive. Right. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a huge piece not mentioned. And I just find mm-hmm. the Anne Rule stuff way more interesting than the whole Carol Ann Boone mess. So, Amanda, sure. you oh, haven't yeah. seen it, but the they show a scene which is true where Ted Bundy, almost said Zac Efron, Ted Bundy <laughs> is defending himself in court. Right. And it's in front of a judge, and by the laws in Florida, if you you know, propose marriage and accept marriage in front of a judge, then you're like legally married. 
Oh, wow. So he, okay. he did that in the courtroom during cross-examination of this woman, Carol Ann Boone, who was, like, by his side. And they got married in the courtroom, and then somehow she got pregnant with his kid while he was in a maximum security prison. Conjugals. Yeah. Against yeah. the Coke machine in right. the movie. Exactly. So all of that is true and obviously is interesting and makes for great TV at the time and a movie, but like, I don't know. I just don't think the Carol Ann Boone piece is that interesting. Cause like a lot of women fall for criminals in prison. Mm-hmm. It's kind of its mm-hmm. own phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Well, she mm-hmm. knew him before also, right? Didn't, weren't, didn't they go to school together or something? They, at least according to the movie. They also had been coworkers for a time at a different suicide. Hotline. No, at a different place. Um, so yeah, but then they didn't like he was. She was not his type. She was not as conventionally attractive as the other women in his life. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just I just personally don't think the Carol Ann Boone stuff is all that interesting. And also, she divorced him three years before his execution, after he had started mm-hmm. confessing, and that's mm-hmm. not in the movie. Yeah. So she's very one-sided in the movie of just like, do you love me, Ted? I think you're innocent, Ted. But then like... It's obviously more complicated than that in reality. Yeah. She gets wise eventually. She raised his daughter. Mm -hmm. I can't. The movie makes no mention of the fact that his mom pretended to be his sister for part of his childhood. Yep. Oh my god, I forgot about that tidbit. Yeah, <laughs> that tidbit. Ted Ted bit. That was pretty common practice back in the day, though, when mm-hmm. you had a child really young and your parents would raise it mm-hmm. or help raise it under the guise that you are the sibling of the child and not the parent of the child. Yeah. It may have been common, but it would still be excellent fodder for a later psychological issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's fucking traumatic as hell, especially because, so he grows up for part of his childhood believing that she's his sister and his actual grandparents are his parents. And then mm-hmm. his older sister moves away for a while, whatever, gets her life together, comes back one day, reveals Surprise, the I'm your truth. Mom. Yeah, su- yeah, I'm your mom, and takes him and moves to a different state with yeah. him to raise him. Well, that's certainly, I don't know. I can't remember. That certainly would be, uh, you know, could be attributed or a lot of his later, like, psychological thoughts about women and what kind of women he targeted and why and yeah. how much you trust women could be let linked alone back women to you're that. close to yeah it's really yeah. fucked up mm-hmm. sorry i had to take a drink okay and of course like the fact that he was born illegitimate as they would say at the mm-hmm. time and in a maternity home for unwed mothers like mm-hmm. that that doesn't matter per se. It only matters insofar as like it mattered to him and mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. psychology, but mm-hmm. it fucking did matter to him. And he did talk about it a lot, especially to Anne rule and how it like weighed heavily on him. Mm-hmm. 
So that's not mentioned, but the movie does have his mother in a couple of scenes, but they don't mention this trauma, and it would have been so easy to just even have, like, one sentence where he's, like, explaining that, you know, his mom was his sister. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're going to bring her in, at least bring up the most interesting part about her. Right, right. Yeah, the true story was way more dramatic than the movie. Yeah. Makes it out to be. I just can't help but think they're just like, Zach Efron's hot. Let's just show him as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Period. It's very facile. So, okay. There's also way too much focus on the trials in the movie. And yes, for a time, Ted Bundy acted as his own attorney. But, like, the movie makes it seem like he was some brilliant legal mind. Right. Definitely was not. He wasn't at all. He was a not very good law student. He never finished law school because he was a little distracted. Killing. Murdering (laughs) women. He was killing it. And also a lot of ski trips, to be fair. That, too. Making a Mm, lot of time for the slopes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For the power. And the wife and, like, stepchild that he had. But mostly the slopes. Yeah. Mostly the slopes. Yeah. Um, But he also, like, he made significant blunders while representing himself at trial. He was, was, like, full-blown crazy at that point and had, like, full-blown crazy eyes and not very much of the, like, charming demeanor anymore left. Mm -hmm. He proposed marriage during his own cross-examination. Yeah. Like, like, like he was, like, un- fucking hinged at that mm-hmm. point in time and they in the movie makes it seem like he's like objection sustained like yeah, yeah you know it's uh-huh. just ridiculous like he's somewhat capable and he fucking mm, yeah. wasn't no he was not so okay also yes the prison escapes are crazy and make for great tv and the fact that anyone can escape prison not once but twice is wild it's yeah. pretty amazing technically he escaped courtroom once and yeah. prison once. But still. Well, but still. so the movie Capture. the movie has him escaping a courtroom. He actually was just escaping a library on like a regular day because he was. Oh, yeah, that's true. I thought it was in the courthouse, though. I don't know. It wasn't in the jail. It was not in the jail. It was at a, I think it was at a local library that might might have been attached to the courthouse, but it was not on like a court day as it portrays in the movie. Okay. Yeah, but it was a building that doesn't have, like, traditional prison security systems in place. Correct. He had one guard that was guarding him, and the guard took a smoke break because he was, like, on the third floor. Mm-hmm. Mm. And he did jump out the window. So that part is true. But the second escape is super fucking crazy because... Ted Bundy lost a shit ton of weight in prison on purpose. He lost Mm. like 40 or 50 pounds. Holy shit. So that he could pull off his second prison escape where he like shimmies into like an air duct. Jesus. But Zac Efron didn't appear to lose any weight. No, for he was muscular and yeah. sinewy as ever. Right, exactly. Okay. Glistening and tan. <laughs> yeah, High was, school musical. <laughs> no <laughs> Christian Bale, let's put it that way. Yeah, this is not The Machinist. Oh, 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 right. That movie is so creepy. Yeah. Specifically because of his body. Yeah, but, the scene where he's in the kitchen, like mm-hmm. opening his refrigerator, will never leave my fucking mm-hmm. brain. <laughs> 
He's a skeleton. It's so scary. I don't scary. even remember the plot line. I just remember his, like, walking Arched corpse. back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can't. Mm-hmm. Nope, we're done. So Zac Efron didn't even lose, like, 10 pounds for this scene. Like, nothing. He got fatter for that scene. <laughs> Inexplicably <laughs> or like, fatter. Or, like, makeup special effects to make his, like, jaw look more, you know, like, right. ha- like haggard or hallowed yeah. face, you know? I don't fucking care if you use a body double and you just show a scene of, like, a skinny hand sawing and then, like, skinny legs <laughs> shimmying up a duct. <laughs> like, something. Or, like, a couple of scenes. A true fan would know. A couple of scenes back. of him, like, refusing food or something. Nothing. They don't mention it. I well, love also when he shimmies up in, you are about all when he this. shimmies up into the ceiling, like there's ample room for his for that escape. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even point out the fact that it was through like a skinny little air duct. It was just like, ah, oh, this seems easy. Yeah, it looks like I could fit through that fucking duct in the movie. And yeah. le- and let me tell you, I could not. Oh. So, honey. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's just because your tits are so huge. That it's is true. accurate. It's your body true. is 90% tits. It's <laughs> very You're just true. two giant tits with legs that grow directly out of your tits. <laughs> That's true. It's amazing. True. I'm going to draw you later. She's okay. right. Perfect. <laughs> She's right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. So, and also in the real escape... He doesn't, like, drop down from the ducks, like, magically into the prison yard and escapes. Like, he dropped down into one of the guards' apartments in the building, like, one of the rooms where the guards sleep, Mm. and (laughs) changed into the guards' clothes and then walked right out. Hmm. It's pretty bullshit that they didn't even take advantage of that. It's very dramatic. Very dramatic. Very cool scene potential. That's what I'm most angry about. Not even You're that so mad at the potential for cool scenes that they blew off. Yes. Yes. Not even yeah. the accuracy. Just the, like, you could have done better. This could have been more interesting. Could have, would have, should have. At this moment, I'm glad that Kenyon doesn't watch Game of Thrones because of the whole Starbucks controversy. You'd be on fire. I'd be livid. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) You're mad anyway. You don't give a shit about the show. I am. (laughs) Okay. Try, HBO. Fucking try. (laughs) Do you not have enough money? Good Lord. Good Lord. Okay. Um... So there was like an inordinate focus on the trials and the escapes and almost no attention given to his actual pathology or his crimes. Mm-hmm. And like he confessed to murdering at least 30 women, possibly way more. Some people think his death toll was like over 100 victims. Yeah, and they that all, is I mean, significant. Yeah, might as well, given how he killed and, like, the frequency and all the stuff, the women that they know about. Yeah, they barely There's no reason why he wouldn't have killed more. They barely even mention, like, eight victims in the movie. I can't. Yeah. Okay. I can't. (laughs) So... Bundy was, this is a quote, Bundy was able to present a charming and utterly false front. He was the reliable boyfriend by day and an utterly horrific serial killer by night. But I read in a review, and I totally agree, that Zac Efron was like the charming good boyfriend bit, but he, quote, had none of the underlying menace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I agree with he that. He just wasn't scary. Yeah. 
And Ted, which like again. it's okay to not be scary, but then cast somebody else. Yeah, again, they wanted Zac Efron as hot Ted Bundy. That was the priority. Right. I and I was one of those people giving him the benefit of the doubt when he was cast. Everyone was like, "This is a travesty," blah blah blah. And I was like, "Let's see what he can do." And like, he did some parts of it well, but like, he just wasn't scary. Like at no mm-hmm. point. When you looked at him in the movie, were you like, did you get chills? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So they just totally missed the, like, awkward, creepy moments that Ted Bundy could totally have. Sure. Um, which is the most fascinating part. Um, there's also a scene where Liz admits that she was the one... Uh, to call and give Ted's name to the police after the police sketch was released to the public. Mm-hmm. But the movie doesn't go into like all the little clues that she spotted in order to make the decision to call the police on her own. Oh my God, boyfriend. that's way interesting. Way interesting. So, okay, listen to this. So, they bring up the fact that the killer drove a VW, and the movie does mention this. And she talks about it. Okay, fine. Sure. But they failed to mention that witnesses told police that the killer gave the name Ted. So it wasn't just okay. the poli- it wasn't just like, oh, you look like this police sketch and you drive a VW. It was also like, you look like this police sketch, you drive a VW, and your name's your name Ted. is Ted. Yeah. Um, they- it's like they made it seem more circumstantial than it actually was. Yeah. In the movie. Absolutely. Also, the killer had a cast on his arm, which was a fake cast. And Liz had spotted Plaster of Paris in Ted's <gasps> desk. Oh, good on ya. And then um, other times the killer used crutches because he would often try to like pretend to be injured to elicit sympathy and help from people like he'd yeah. be on crutches help me get this boat on my car yeah. right. or like right. drop drop some textbooks when he's on crutches near his right. car like that kind of shit which is actually ingenious and a big part mm-hmm. of the whole Ted Bundy story mm-hmm. um And Liz noticed once that Ted had crutches despite not having an injury. And Mm -hmm. she asked him about it. And she writes about this in her book. And he said that, quote, a person never could tell when he was going to break a leg. And they both laughed. Oh, dear. And then she writes, now I keep thinking about the cast the guy at Lake Sammamish was wearing. What a perfect weapon it would make for clubbing someone on the head. Yeah. Jesus. She also noticed that he once took a crowbar from her house. She mm-hmm. also noticed that he kept a hatchet under the passenger seat in his car. And oh none God. of this was in the movie? Nope. Yikes. Do you think it wasn't in the movie because it was so obvious? I mean, at least the <laughs> Keep crutches. Keep a hatchet under your at least yeah. have the scene where she notices that he has crutches and asks him about them. Mm-hmm. Like something. Because right in the movie, it just makes it seem like, oh, well, you're a paranoid girlfriend and you just happen to be right. Yeah, they're playing into the like. Yeah, it's not it's not of- actual. Yeah, it's like it's not someone just trusting their intuition. 
in the movie, it has to be like the nagging, unsuspecting, untrusting woman. It's yeah, they didn't trope. give her a nearly enough credit in the movie. Now that you're listing all these things out, right? They just made yeah. it sound like he looked like a police sketch, which was not. Uh, that's there's not a, a lot more to it than that. Yeah. Um, I also have read that he altered the passenger door of his VW to make it difficult, if not impossible, impossible to open from the inside. Ick. Yeah, that's like the primary thing I remember about Ted Bundy in reality and not through like movies and stuff. Right. That is fucking gross. So that's gross. not mentioned. And like if he was her long term boyfriend, she would have noticed. Wouldn't that she have noticed his passenger hard to get door. out of his car? Yeah, it was yeah. fucked. Like, get that fixed. This is clearly still broken. Blah, blah, blah. We've been together for five years. Yeah. There was also really no like hitchhiking business. Nope. Not mentioned. Not, basically, his crimes were barely mentioned. Yeah, that's so odd. It's so Which, odd. Which, if, if we argue that this movie was primarily about the women in his life, then it would make sense that the crimes themselves weren't mentioned. However, to cast Liz in this, like, oh, the sketch looks like him. It must be him. Like, and that's it. Yeah. Like, there's really no depth to her character in this movie. I know, mm-hmm. and there's so much potential for it. Yeah. And also, like, stitching together uh, Liz and then his first girlfriend, what's her name, Diane? Yep. That's just lazy, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking about all your previous points. All of this combined is kind of making me hate this movie, (laughs) Do I want to watch this? Yes. You have to watch it. It's literally your job to watch it. Okay. 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 (laughs) So, anyway, I just think, like, it's the cascade of small clues that, like, inspires her to make this phone call to the police. Sure. And that is really cool. And that could have been, I don't know, make it a fucking montage. Do something. Yeah, you could bang that out in two minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Moving on. Liz also, I'm almost done, I swear. Liz <laughs> also says that Ted once tried to poison her with chimney smoke. Yikes. What does that even mean? So like, she closes the flue in the chimney and lights ex- a fire and then kills her with smoke inhalation, basically. Exactly, Dr. Mm-hmm. Phil. Keep up. So she woke up. Well, <laughs> they, they had like a night drinking. She woke up coughing severely from smoke inhalation and like suspected. But then Ted Bundy himself later admitted when he started confessing to everything that he once quote, closed the damper at Liz's house while she was sleeping so the smoke couldn't go up the chimney. Then he left after putting a towel under the door so the smoke wouldn't escape. Yup. So she she woke up coughing to the smoke-filled room and everything, and there was a towel under her door. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Not Mm. mentioned in Mm. the movie. And the movie... It could have been a very simple, quick scene, too. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm basically... Can we just get a Kickstarter going so I can remake this movie? Thank you so much. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) It'll be 10 hours long. No, it'll be good. (laughs) Kenyon will be playing Ted Bundy. Oh, God. She can look mean and scary. (laughs) (laughs) And be charming. Mm-hmm. And charming, yeah. Yeah. She's a handsome enough woman. <laughs> She's a handsome woman. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so 
<laughs> Ted Bundy is usually portrayed as having like a very set MO because of the whole like mm-hmm. brunettes thing. But he really didn't. Yeah. Because sometimes he would abduct women in broad daylight. Sometimes he would break into their homes while they were sleeping. Sometimes he killed them in a thousand different ways. Yeah, yeah, he had like a type that he preferred to kill, but his actual like modus operandi was not yeah, the same every time. MO. Yeah, exactly. Some were beaten, some were strangled, some, yeah, it's just like all over the place. Sometimes he would pick up hitchhikers. Other times it was in like really public places like the Lake Sammamish thing where he like pretended to be injured, like all different types of shit going on. In the movie, there is zero mention of him being a necrophile. Mm. And we're talking Important. level I bet, 10. I bet, I bet fucking Zac Efron was like, mm, line drawn. Nope. You can't play Won't do it. Then you're out of the running, bitch. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I exactly. bet it was him. You little can't bitch. play Ted Bundy you and be like, beautiful little bitch. Oh my God. This isn't Chad Michael <laughs> Let Murray. Let me teach you. Okay, well, it could be. And also, that's me speculating. I have no idea if that was a writer's choice or if that was his choice. Yeah. I don't know. He would literally go... It wasn't like... Okay, one, it's bad enough to kill someone and then defile their corpse immediately Mm -hmm. after killing them, which he would do. But he Mm -hmm. would also bury them, come back weeks later, dig them back up, and then fuck them. And mm-hmm. then rebury them. Mm-hmm. That is the mm-hmm. level of necrophile that he was. Not here for it. Also, not hot. No. Yeah, so once again, the producers wanted an attractive Zach Efron digging up a corpse and fucking it and then reburying it. Not super attractive. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, sure, I could see why there wouldn't be a scene of that. <laughs> But maybe that could come up like in well, court, just the, in the illusion courtroom. of it. Yeah, they didn't even the, allude yeah. to it. Him being a mm. necrophile at all, which he admitted to. And also, the movie mentions just before the end credits in like written text across the screen that he asked to be cremated and asked that his ashes be scattered in this one state park where he'd left multiple victims. But, like, that fact is all the more chilling when you know what he did with those victims there. Yeah. 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 And he asked to have his ashes scattered there where he'd fucked a bunch of dead bodies. That's so fucked up. I'm not okay with that. And another thing. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Last two things. Last two things. Okay, so and another thing. And two more things. <laughs> and two other things. <laughs> I I even cut this down, you guys. I had more feelings. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you have a lot of time on your hands. She doesn't even go here. <laughs> she doesn't even go here. <laughs> she has a lot of feelings. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> she has a, a heavy flow and a wide set vagina. vagina. <laughs> At the we end love your wide set vagina. <laughs> At the end of the movie where he writes hacksaw in like condensation on the window. Yeah, that came out of nowhere in the context of the movie. Yeah, it's a good scene. Okay, fine. But in reality, he told Liz, quote, this is over the phone. This was like his big admission to Liz. He said, quote, there is something the matter with me. I just couldn't contain it. I fought it for a long, long time. It was just too strong. 
And to me, that is more chilling than like what murder weapon he used one time. Yeah, because again, that wasn't part of his M.O. No. If he used a hacksaw, it was like for a couple of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not about the murder weapon with him. Like, for the Chi Omega attacks, he used a log. Like, it's not Mm, about the murder weapon. It's about the compulsion. Right. He was desperate to kill. Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter how gory of a murder weapon he used. Yeah. So, I just think the movie totally failed to capture that, like, the compulsion element and his, like, Mm -hmm. complete unraveling over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just could have been so much better. That's what bothers me. It just could have. It just had potential, and it could have been better. And it's worth watching. But like, if you're a real Ted Bundy person, freak like Kenyon, it's gonna be. It's gonna <laughs> leave you very Kenyon's emailing unsatisfied. this manifesto to Netflix today. <laughs> so well, anyway, you know, we can only pray within our lifetime there is another Ted Bundy movie that does the horrificness of his crimes more justice listen to this podcast episode i gave you all the juicy scenes now write it oh my god (laughs) i basically wrote it for you you're welcome future person thank (laughs) god for you (sighs) all right so that's my rant (laughs) i appreciate it thank you Someone needed to spell this out in great detail, and you are the woman for the job. I'm looking forward to watching this with better set expectations. Mm-hmm. Honestly, <laughs> mm-hmm. you've done me a service. Mm-hmm. He's got a really good ass in that Coke machine scene, though. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for it. Yeah. Well, should we cool down a little with our <laughs> word from our sponsors? Go <laughs> take a cold shower. <laughs> okay. America has fallen in love with Best Fiends, the Mm five-star rated mobile puzzle game. Discover the world of Best Fiends and its cute characters in this fiendishly fun, free-to-download mobile puzzle game. Mm, I love this game (laughs) You really do. I really do. I'm at level 297. (laughs) I like can't get enough of it. I, I am connected on Facebook with a bunch of my friends. We send each other gifts and like it'll give me an alert when I've like passed them in the game and then I get this sick sense of pride that I really love. <laughs> I'm just super here for it. And I play a lot of games on my phone, but this is a totally different puzzle experience. You solve thousands of fun puzzles and collect these cute little characters along the way. They're so much fun. There's an epic storyline that will keep you engaged with this puzzle mobile game. There are thousands of hours of gameplay and I have only just scratched the surface. It's easy to learn, but it's difficult to master. I will every once in a while get super held up on a really hard level. I get really frustrated and it's amazing and then I power through it and I feel intense joy. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing. (laughs) There are thousands of fun, challenging levels that require you to use your brain, Mm -hmm. which I always enjoy using. And this is the perfect casual game to play alone or with family and friends. Like I said, I've connected to a bunch of my friends on Facebook and we kind of play together and send each other presents and like we can see who's progressing through the game and who you're passing. It's for fun and anyone can play this game from kids to older adults it's made for adults but it's kind of open to everybody mm-hmm. we love it and it is a casual game like i am not a gamer or somebody who has a lot of games on their phone but i played it and had a lot of fun so mm-hmm. 
Uh, with Best Fiends, you can solve thousands of fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. It is a five-star rated mobile game on the Apple App Store and Google Play. Download free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, so Best Fiends. Mm-hmm. So, listeners, you already know that we have all been using Poshmark for a while now, and we mm-hmm. are obsessed. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'm getting ready to clean out my closet on Poshmark and shop for new spring clothes and clothes for our tour. For real. I'm so excited. So, if you haven't already done it, you have to download the Poshmark app and use the referral code GALS5, and then you'll get $5 off your first purchase. And Mm -hmm. Poshmark has tons of brands that you know and love from, like, Lululemon and, like, Nike and, like, up to Louis Vuitton. I mean, it has everything. Oh, my God. I saw a Louis Vuitton, um, like, romper (gasps) on there the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So, uh, Mama... Be shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and for up to like 70% off. So there's tons of yeah. lightly used or brand new items with tags still on on Poshmark. Mm-hmm. So you can shop for your next event or vacation. Shipping is so fast and the app is super easy to use. I bought um, this gorgeous pair of um, Steve Madden riding boots mm. that I had. Yeah, you did. Oh. I I love them. So now I get to get some spring clothes. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. And buying is super easy on Poshmark, but selling is also super easy on Poshmark with the Poshmark closet. Lucy has done some sales on there. I have a good friend, Andrea, who does some sales on Poshmark. And you know that they are adding to their Poshmark closet because you can follow people on Mm -hmm. there. It's like a cool social media tool. And so you can find people with styles that they continuously upload that are really interesting to you. And you can keep following them and see the new stuff that they put up on their closet. And these friends of mine have sold so many items already. The shipping for them on that side has been super easy. When they make a sale, Poshmark sends an email with the shipping label. All they have to do is tape it to the box and drop it to the post office or schedule a pickup. It's the it's easy as mm-hmm. pie. It's amazing. The thing that's so fun about that too is that as you're making money in Poshmark, you can also essentially just use it to shop. It's like shopping for free within the whole Poshmark platform. You sell from your closet, you buy from other people's closets. It's amazing. And shopping on Poshmark is amazing because they have a ton of cool items like we talked about and all the brands you can think of. We've seen some Lululemon on there, some Louis Vuitton. I saw some Betsy Johnson earrings that were really fun. You can find all kinds of cool stuff we Love it. And I love that it is an app. So listeners of Wine and Crime get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code GALS5, G-A-L-S-5, when you sign up. That's invite code GALS5. Treat yo closet. And we're back. Okay, I got a special treat for everyone this week. Um, I like treats. Probably like a month ago. I got an email from an anonymous person, and it was extremely interesting to read. I asked for their permission to read it on air, and they agreed. So here we go. So just keep in mind, this is a real person who will be listening to this episode. So it's, it's interesting and it's informative, but let's just keep, yeah, 
whatever. Okay, you're telling us to shut the fuck up, is mm-hmm. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you but to shut the it. fuck up. I'm nah, just saying. You are. You are, though. You are. I'm just saying. You are. You're like Based on the <laughs> mom who's like prepping her seven year olds before they uh-huh. go see Aunt Linda, who uh-huh. just got divorced. Like, what uh-huh. to say? Let me just say, say that. Let me just say that some sentiments were made in Kenyon's segment two minutes ago that we, you know, might be sensitive to. Okay, here we go. Oh, God. Okay, this is the email. I will just be reading it verbatim. I just found your guys' podcast. So sorry I'm writing about your first episode so long (gasps) after it aired, but I thought you might still be interested in what I have to say. So... Oh God. Just thinking back, our first episode was necrophilia. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a necrophile slash somnophile, and I'm a woman, which, as we all know, is pretty rare. I think I would probably be considered a necrophile fantasizer and possibly a role player, although I haven't had sex yet, so I couldn't say for sure, but it could happen. Shrug emoji. Love it. Okay. <laughs> Just for a bit of background, I'm 23, almost 24, a recent college graduate with a bachelor's in zoology. I'm Get also it. a fiction writer and artist. So, like, Get it. She's busy. You she's are great. a renaissance woman. Exactly. I only recently, that is about two years ago, put two and two together and realized that I have necrophilia And I think I also might have somnophilia, but they're pretty interconnected. And just to clarify, somnophilia is a sexual attraction to somebody who is unconscious. Mm -hmm. So that would probably include someone who's sleeping. Mm -hmm. Okay. I actually figured it out after I had a young adult fiction class where we read a graphic novel called My Friend Dahmer, which I highly recommend. I've read it. It's amazing. I still haven't seen the show. Yeah. The movie I was not as impressed with, but the graphic novel is so fucking good. Yeah. So I've, good and beautiful. I've read parts of it, but it's like a masterpiece. Yeah. It's really good. That's when I learned about necrophilia and was able to connect with the feelings I've been having most of my life. The first memory of this that I have was in first grade. We were sitting on the rug watching a movie where a character ends up dying and I got aroused. As a young child, I had no idea what that feeling was, so I just tried to ignore it. As I got older, I remember playing with my siblings, pretending to kill each other, and I did this on purpose because it felt good. Again, I didn't understand why. Mm -hmm. I also remember having fantasies and masturbating while thinking about me dying or holding someone else who was dying or recently dead. Yep. And just so you know, we're going to go through the tears again I was with just a little say. bit of extra classifications so we can yep. fully unpack this. <clears throat> Once I got older, I realized that this was strange, so I stopped, or at least I tried to stop as much as I could. Then in high school, I got into writing and writing role play, where I created characters and came up with interesting plots that I wrote with my friends. That's when I gained a love for writing, but I also started to form a habit of killing or almost killing my characters because I got off on it. I still didn't fully understand why something like that aroused me, but honestly, I didn't want to think too hard about it, Mm -hmm. which is completely understandable. Yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was also in high school where my OCD, anxiety, and depression started to really come out. My OCD had started when I was extremely young, maybe around three or four, but it got a lot worse. 
I know that other mental illnesses are usually linked with necrophilia as well as abuse, although I never really had any abuse when I was younger, so I don't think that that applies to me. Anyway, that was longer than I meant to make of my backstory. I'll try to answer some of your questions um, and just give you what I know at least about me and how it affects me. Mm-hmm. Very much appreciated. This is <laughs> I found this email extremely interesting. It is illuminating. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, I've noticed what arouses me is a few factors. The emotional connection, projection, and the limpness of the person. So with the emotional connection, when I've had these fantasies or when I've written things that have brought these feelings up, it's almost always in the context of love and loss. For example, my, quote, perfect scenario would be a man dying in the arms of his lover or someone of that nature. It kind of struck me when I was reading this that, like, a man dying in the arms of his lover, she's not necessarily framing that as her being the lover. Right, right. I noticed that as well. It's just a contextual thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The arousal I feel is nearly exclusively tied to feelings of extreme sadness and pain. It's because of those intense emotions that the, quote, dying in someone's arms scenario works for me. And honestly, I'm not sure why. The second one is projection, which is me either as the one dying or feeling connected to the one dying. This one is harder to explain because I believe it really stemmed from my writing and role play. I usually play male characters, and then she notes I'm attracted to males, mm-hmm. and I get very attract. I get very attached to them. In one way, I love them because they are people that feel like they are real and they are their own person, as if I'm discovering them rather than creating them. Mm-hmm. Which I think I feel like that's just a sign that you're a great writer. Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have anything to do with. Necrophilia. Yeah, the character starts to grow organically right. almost. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in another way, because they are coming from my own mind, they are usually similar to me in certain ways, and I often feel like that they are me, so I tend to feel what they're feeling. I'm extremely empathetic, and I have the ability to put myself in someone else's shoes in such a vivid way that I can feel what they feel and think what they're thinking. To a point, of course, since it's really just my imagination. Mm-hmm. Again, mm. sign so of a I good do writer. This, exactly. So I do this with my characters, too. Now to the weird part, where when I'm playing out those fantasies, because of that emotional connection I have with them, that's what really gets me when I'm doing something that deeply hurts them emotionally or hurts them physically. And then she says, now that I think about it, I might be a masochist. <laughs> I create these beautiful male characters that I'm attracted that I to. Them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, everything's a spectrum. It's probably a combo of a lot of things. I love it. It's my expert opinion. When I was little, I used to write a lot of short stories, and my characters would always be orphans. And my mom was like like 100% of the time. And my mom would get so offended. Like, I was trying (laughs) to, like, kill her. Write her out. Yeah, Yeah. but really, it was was just like... (laughs) How can you write a character with, like, problems in their life if they have, like, a great home life and loving, involved parents? Like, (laughs) it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, well, there are also movies to kind of put us in the shoes. Oh, and, like, books. 
You also had a lot of American Girl dolls that you all did. had like some element of tragedy in their and backstory. And there were definitely some Bunch orphans, orphans in the American Girl well, story. I had Samantha. Yeah. She was an orphan. Yep. She was raised yeah. by yep. Grand Orphans Mary. everywhere. Mm-hmm. So really, your mom should Samantha. be offended with herself for buying you Samantha yeah, in it's the first her place. Fault. Right? I fully support you. We've gone full circle back to blaming your mother. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so continuing with this email. But I also think that perhaps I feel like the one dying is me. I'm no psychologist, but my best guess is that maybe I crave that love and attention and that I want someone to feel that strongly about me. I don't know. The last one is more towards the actual physical arousal part of it. The part that actually seems to be the necrophilic or somnophilic. For whatever fucked up reason, I get sexually excited when looking at a man's limp or unconscious body. Mm -hmm. So this can either mean he's just asleep or unconscious, which is the somnophilic side, or he could be dead, which is the necrophilic side. Just looking at or imagining touching a man in that state seems to be what arouses me. I don't really have any desire to have sex with a body like that. It's almost like I just want to be physically affectionate instead, which is where the emotion plays in, I think. Okay. Honestly, okay, she kind of breaks it down here. Honestly, this really upsets and sickens me. It scares me that I feel like this, and I am painfully aware that this is wrong and not normal. Logically, I know that I shouldn't feel this way, but I can't help but feel it. I've been ashamed of this for a very long time, and I've only told my closest friends and family members about this. Looking at this email at this point, seeing how long and detailed it is, I would be lying if I said this wasn't mostly for me. I think I just really needed to write this out and explain myself. I think it helps to try and put words and descriptions to my illness, and it helps to tell somebody that can hopefully understand. And that signed off as anonymous girl. Mm-hmm. So I would just say, obviously, we make a lot of fun in our first episode and a bunch of episodes since then. And that's because we were mostly making fun of people who murder in order to mm-hmm. satisfy this urge, which is mm-hmm. unquestionably wrong. But I'm mm-hmm. And it's the same way we make fun of murders for any other reason. Right. It's also unquestionably wrong to like dig up and defile a corpse. Like these are True. objectively unethical. If you're maneuvers. not letting someone rest in peace, yes, that is wrong. But just But to have the urges isn't necessarily wrong. Right. It's not unethical. It's how you choose to like handle those urges. Yeah. If, and I also know? think to label your own urges as not normal isn't very healthy. I mean, norm, what's normal? There's, exactly. You don't like to use the word normal. Are yeah. you harming anyone? No. Are there mm-hmm. like, and there are limitless kink communities in which right. you can consensually and safely act out all right. of these total, these fantasies that you have right. to complete yeah. satisfaction. So like, do it, Especially girl. like the somnophilic thing. If if you can yes. if you can find a partner and, and have that consensually, like have at it. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. And I feel like everyone has everyone has kinks. Number one, and I feel like everyone, or at least most people, have kinks that if if they were to happen without like consent, then of course it wouldn't be good. But there mm-hmm. is a way yeah, to handle kink, your kinks in a safe key. and consensual way. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Pretty I can't think of one that wouldn't right. 
you know, sort of like BDSM or like whatever, and masochism. I mean, and if I, I'd be lying if I said I never laid there and pretended to be dead for my own pleasure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 90% of my encounters, well, I'm just laying been there. there. Come on now. So, pretended to be asleep for one reason or another. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I just think that also not in a like what you're thinking and feeling is wrong go get help kind of way but in a you sound like you have a lot of feelings about this and you said that it helps to talk about them Mm -hmm. so why don't you keep doing that with someone who's actually a professional and not a bunch of three drunk podcasters. I was going to say the same thing. I think that it's, well, I mean, I think it's great that you reach out to us and told us your story. And we don't know that this person is not also seeking some sort of like therapeutic community to be able to safely engage in these conversations. But the fact that I think that there is so much shame and stigma surrounding people's, especially people's sexual preferences, people's kinks, people's orientations, Mm -hmm. when there are so many communities that engage in similar acts and in a safe and consensual way. And there are a lot of places where you can talk about these things openly. And like a therapeutic environment is a great place to start because Mm -hmm. they're not there to judge you. They're there to objectively listen to everything you Mm -hmm. have to say and could help you possibly navigate. Because like Kenyon said, in the tone of the email, it does sound like the the writer may have some concerns about their thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. So a therapeutic environment is a great place to just have that conversation and be like, hey, I don't I don't have any intention of like acting on some of these things, but like let's maybe pinpoint where some of these urges come from so that I can better understand them and then possibly find a way to carry them out in a safe and consensual way that's not gonna harm me or my partner. Right. Therapy helps everyone. Agree. Fuck yeah, it so, does. Consider it. Literally, everyone needs therapy. Yep. If you Mm -hmm. like American Girl dolls a little too much, Kenyon, (laughs) you need therapy. But I actually think this was an awesome email. I'm glad that she wrote it. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I was thrilled when I read it. Not just because it's a very interesting insight to something that most people don't either think about or really don't consider as like a genuine you know perspective well and i know it's anonymous but how brave to open up about it and Mm -hmm. to allow us to also share that perspective to a large to a wide platform like i think that's pretty amazing yeah like Uh, we applaud you anonymous girl thank you so much for sharing with us and i also do have a couple of other things to say um before we wrap it up Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. Kenyon, were you going to say something No, no no it's fine Okay, so just to recover our um, tiers of necrophilia after having read that. Mm-hmm. So the first tier is role-playing, which is defined as people who get aroused from pretending that their live partner is dead during sexual activity. All I right, feel like check. our anonymous girl checks that. Check, um, check. Tier two is romantic necrophilia, which is when bereaved people remain attached to their dead lover's body. Don't think it applies here. Uh, But I could see it. They fantasize about that, about like the death of a loved one and a loved one dying in not necessarily their arms, but somebody's arms. I think that you could argue that there's an element of this. Well, that's more than it would still be a fantasy. Yeah. It would still be a fantasizing. This is uh, this is more people who like their loved one literally dies and they keep the body around. Yeah. Okay. So so it's a it, so she might be fantasizing about a ne- romantic necrophilia. Okay. 
So then we the third tier is necrophilia fantasizers, which are people who fantasize about necrophilia but never actually have sex with a corpse, which could also apply to this person as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then once we get, get, get rolling to the fourth tier, we have tactile necrophiliacs, which are people who are aroused by touching or stroking a corpse without engaging in intercourse. We have fetishistic necrophiliacs who, like, take take a piece of the de- of the dead person either like a piece of their body or like underwear or something like that oh yeah 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 well mm-hmm. your mother does have Pancho Villa's trigger finger that's mm. my uncle your uncle and he doesn't have sex with it it's framed in a box that in his basement you know of <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, how do we know he doesn't have sex with it? He's just rubbing I mean, his donger on this old mummified <laughs> finger. <laughs> Could be. We can only hope. <laughs> um, okay, so just to kind of go through the rest of them quick, we have necromutilomaniacs, people who derive pleasure from mutilating a corpse while masturbating, also without engaging in intercourse. We have opportunistic necrophiliacs, which are people who normally have no interest in necrophilia but take the opportunity when it arises. Like those okay. f- fucking awful... I guess they're not dead, but like those people who are like nurses and doctors for people yeah. in comas. There's so yeah. much of that. So they yeah. can be opportunistic somnophiliacs. Right. They're not actually dead. Then we come to regular necrophiliacs. People who preferentially have intercourse with the dead, they they would just prefer that. Homicidal necrophiliacs, people who commit murder in order to have sex with them, which sounds a little bit like what maybe Ted Bundy was doing, or maybe that was a little more opportunistic. Because his primary goal was the murder itself, right? Uh, The sex and rape element was, was strong with that one. Okay. Maybe a little dose of homicidal necrophilia. Big time. And then... Last but not least, we have exclusive necrophiliacs, which are people who have an exclusive interest in sex with the dead and cannot perform at all for a living partner. That was not Ted Bundy. And I just want to say, when I went back to the Wikipedia article to find these tiers to mention them again today, there was an added category, an added category, an added categorological whatever the fuck. Scatological. So I'm just going to read it. Scatological. I'm going to read it to you now. So there are categories A through H. Yes, another list. Actually, this this lays it out perfectly for us. Category A um, is labeled as cold slash destructive. I guess I should back up. Hold on. Okay, so criminologist Lee Meller um, created this typology of homicidal necrophiles consisting of eight categories. That's the A through H. And it's based on the combination of two behavioral axes. Destructive, which is when the offender mutilates the corpse for sexual reasons. Preservative, which is when the offender does not mutilate the corpse. Mm-hmm. And cold, which is when the offender uses the corpse sexually two hours or more after death, and then warm when he uses the corpse sexually less than two hours after death. So it sounds like the writer of the email in her fantasies is more of a preservative warm. Preservative warm. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our category A is cold and destructive, and that would be, that would be Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer. 
Mm-hmm. So they're f- having sex with bodies more than two hours after death, and they are also mutilating these bodies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Category B, cold and preservative, which would include Gary Ridgway and Dennis Nilsson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Category C, warm, destructive. There's a bunch of, like, murderers that I've never heard of, so I'm going to skip some of these. Category E includes dabblers which have transitory opportunistic sexual relations with corpses, but this is not their preference. So they're dabblers. So So that would include Richard Ramirez, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have a catathymic, which is impulsively and explosively lashing out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we have a category G, which is exclusive necromutophiles. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's the only kind of person they like to have sex with is a dead, mutilated corpse. Oh. Um, And then our our last category, which is category H, is sexual cannibals and vampires, like E.G. Albert Fish. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they might, like, drink, yeah, they might drink their blood, they might eat them, whatever. This is an interesting uh, list. Good job, Lee Miller. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. And once again, hats off to our anonymous girl. Thank you so much for opening up about that. That that alone took a lot of bravery. And I think Mm -hmm. that what you choose to do with what you know about yourself is completely up to you. And mm-hmm. you can you can steer this ship wherever you want it to go, and we support you as long as you continue doing it in a safe and consensual manner. Yeah, exactly. You can do whatever you want to made-up characters that you're writing, and you can get oh. off yeah. on it as much as you want. You can do whatever get you want to a consenting partner if they are continuously consenting. It's just the, mm-hmm. the part of necrophilia that is not okay is the lack of consent. Because the person is dead. Exactly. That's the issue. And exactly also the Dick cold part. Exactly. I'm going to... I'm going to flag that. <laughs> Before we get into another six-page uh, critique... <laughs> Personal We're going to cut it flag. off here. Personal flag. <laughs> I, pr- I prefer a warm body, but you know what? As someone who got real deep into the Twilight books, I'm not against cold either. <laughs> or sparkly. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Cold, Team preservative, and okay, sparkly. We all need a cold shower all now. Right. So. I fully do. Well, this, Thank you for listening this, to this, this episode amazing. of Gossip at the Corpse Cart. Hope you enjoyed, and uh, we'll see you next month. Yeah. All right. We love you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kali Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout-out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers!